0: I don't know if you saw this in the news when it happened a couple years ago, May of 2022, but at that time astronomers announced an incredible discovery. They claimed that they had pierced through the veil of darkness and dust in our galaxy and had seen and taken a picture of the first picture of what's called a supermassive black hole. Now we call it a black hole. Of course, because the gravitational pull of a black hole is so great that it can even suck in light. So we've never had a picture of a black hole before. You can't see it with the naked human eye until this image. Scientists uh, had a press conference in Washington, D.C. and broadcast around the world. The picture that they showed was of a lumpy donut of a radio emission framing empty space. And people were ooing and aahing when they saw this image. And then one astronomer uh, displayed what she called the first direct image of the gentle giant, the black hole in the center of our galaxy. And then she added, I met this black hole 20 years ago and have loved it and tried to understand it since. But until now, we didn't have a direct picture. Another astronomer described it this way, very memorably. We have seen what we thought was unseeable. When I read that news report, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, as we continue to look one by one at the Beatitudes here and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus makes an astonishing promise here to his hearers, to his followers, that believers will see the unseeable. Jesus promises that believers will see God, God himself. Now, friends, we were made. We were made by God to gaze upon the face of God. We were made by him to take in his glory. Uh, We were made so that we would be awestruck by God's presence and that it would leave us fully satisfied. But because of sin, God's face is hidden from us. And maybe you remember how Moses, Moses who had seen God's glory in the plagues of Egypt, he had seen God's glory, his presence in the pillar of cloud and fire as he led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And Moses had also seen and encountered God's glory in the burning bush. But you remember in Exodus 33, Moses wanted more. And so he made a very bold request of God. He said, Lord, please show me your glory. And you remember how God responds? He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim, my, will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious And show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, You cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. We were made to see God. God, you made us to behold you, to worship you. But because of sin and our fallen nature, we cannot be in the full presence of God. A fully righteous and holy God. We cannot look upon him and live. To see God in our fallen state, uh, we would be consumed. To see God in our sinful state would dishonor him, and it would overwhelm us. But here in Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus makes this staggering statement. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus blesses the pure in heart. With that promise, believers will see God face to face. Faith will become sight. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And there will come a day when we no longer see through a glass dimly or darkly. And what a blessed promise this is. But how? How can it be? How can it possibly be that we shall see God? Well, I want us to work through Jesus' words here with four main points, four main points. And it's really just taking apart here this beatitude of, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, first, I want us to understand what is the problem? What is the problem? And then I want us to see what is purity, as Jesus talks about here? What is purity? And then we just unpack what is the promise What is the promise? And then finally, fourth point, what is the prescription for a pure heart? What is the prescription? So our problem, purity, what is the promise and what is the prescription for a pure heart? First of all, what is our promise here? Notice that when Jesus starts here, he's going to start with fixing the problem of what prevents us from seeing God. He starts with, the heart. And when he says to examine your, or when he refers to, alludes to your heart, Jesus, of course, is not referring to the physical organ in your chest that's pumping blood throughout your body. And of course, he doesn't mean just some emotional feeling, as we often think of the heart today. Jesus means so much more of the heart, thinking biblically, scripturally about the concept of the heart, the heart being the center of the entire person. Uh, The heart's in ca- uh, in capturing all of the, the person's, e- not just emotions or affections, but also the will and the mind. This is what makes up an entire person. It also includes your, your personality, your intellect, your memory, your desires. The heart is the, the center of your physical, your mental, emotional, and even, and of course, your spiritual life. So Jesus, when he wants when he's teaching us this beatitude, he wants us to understand that the root cause of why we do not see God and why we are impure of heart is because of our hearts are defiled in some way. It's the reason, in fact, for problems in this world. All the problems in this world can ultimately be traced back to this single problem, a problem of the heart. We might get distracted by a lot of things in our lives, a lot of circumstances that seem like much bigger problems, but this, in fact, is where we must begin. I was reminded of that when I read recently about a poll that was taken in the United States several years ago now, and this poll found that 17% of Americans named Ebola the greatest health crisis in America at the time. Now, that percentage is a larger percentage than those who named health problems like obesity or drug abuse or health problems like heart disease, cancer, neurological uh, diseases, diabetes, which those are known as the, the four horsemen of diseases because those four cause death for the vast majority of people. And in fact, heart disease alone, since 1950 in the United States is the leading cause of death among people. But by the end of 2014, only two people had died from Ebola in the United States compared with millions of others. And yet people were so focused on such a minor in comparison threat that they failed to see the bigger problems at stake. I was reminded of that because it's so easy to stress out over things in life that are less important. It's easy to blame our external circumstances for the reason of why things are going wrong in our lives. It's easy to point the finger to problems outside of ourselves, to blame things on our jobs, our spouses, our, our image, our friends, money, the government, even the church, a million other things. And while those might be legitimate concerns, we need to understand that the core problem with us and in this world is a problem of our hearts. The Bible's teaching bears that out quite clearly. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Jesus also says, as you remember in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Friends, if you just follow your heart... As the world often teaches us today, that's where it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you further away from God and further into slavery of sin. So as Jesus told Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but focus on the one thing that is most important. So when life's problems are stressing us out, when you're looking to point the finger, we would all do well to remember Jesus' words to Martha. Focus on what's the most important thing which is the heart. We need to understand that that is where the fallen condition of human beings starts. That's the first thing I want to point out here is our problem, the problem of the heart. But secondly, what is purity here? When Jesus talks about blessed are the pure in hearts, what does it mean by pure? So our hearts are not pure. And Jesus notes here, or excuse me, commentators note here how Jesus is likely referring to Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, because there the psalmist asks, the psalmist prays, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That is, someone who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. So what does Jesus mean by purity here? I think there's two aspects to what's going on when Jesus talks about purity here. Purity, first of all, is single-mindedness. It's a single-mindedness. Bible scholars point out here that there are three words for pure in the New Testament, and the word that's used for pure here is the word katharos. Katharos is generally used to describe something that is unmixed or undiluted. So, for example, wine that has not been diluted with water can be described as catharos. It may not be the best wine. Uh, It might taste like vinegar, but it is pure wine in the sense that it's not mixed or diluted with something else. That's the thrust of the meaning here when Jesus is talking about pure. It's not pure in the sense of being perfect, but in the sense of being unmixed, undiverted with other things. And so the person who is pure in heart is someone who is not diluted with other things in this world. A person who's pure in heart is not divided and distracted uh, with other idols or with worshiping other things. A person who is pure in heart is singly given over to God. To be pure in heart in one sense is just to give their our entire uh, souls and lives over to God. That's why it is a single-minded devotion to God. Perhaps one of the greatest examples of this is the Apostle Paul, right? Paul was a man who, after Jesus intervened in his life, was singly dedicated to his Lord for the rest of his earthly life. In fact, you remember what Paul says about his life, his life motto, as it were. Philippians 3, for example, Paul says, but one thing, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or, as he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, we make it our aim, we make it our goal, our purpose, our driving force in life to please him, to please Christ. That's the single-minded That's the pure in heart that Jesus has in mind here, not distracted with other things. My life's purpose, as Paul said, is to live for Christ, to make him known, not just in my life, but in the lives of other people. Nothing is going to distract me from that goal. I'm not going to allow anything to take away from that purpose. If I need to choose between this goal and something else in life, that something else in life needs to go. So for the pure in heart, those undiluted, those devoted to Jesus, the Christian faith isn't just one interest among many. It's not just one hobby among all these other hobbies in your life. No, everything else comes second to following Christ and obeying his teachings. That's what it means to be pure in heart. And everything else then, everything else in your life finds its proper place and position and relation to that relationship with Christ and that purpose. that's one aspect of what it means to be pure in heart to be singly devoted to God. but also there is a there's a, there's a cleansing aspect here to purity of course. You know, being washed, washed of defilement. And not a course of being washed with a, a brush and soap or something like that, but being spiritually cleansed, morally cleansed an inner moral purity, as opposed to an outer superficial cleansing. And the Old Testament prophets, they foresaw a day when God would cleanse his people, cleanse their hearts. As God promises in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A sprinkling of cleansing, he says. It just reminds me, I mean, sometimes you wonder if you've ever seen a a baby baptized or maybe even an adult baptized. Why do they sprinkle water on that baby or maybe even on that adult? And why not dunk them? Why do some churches sprinkle? Well, because it's capturing this type of imagery from Ezekiel 36, or even that temple imagery that you mentioned earlier with David in the psalm, sprinkling hyssop. is because in the Old Testament, sprinkling carries this image of cleansing. And so when we sprinkle water on a baby, it's a symbolic cleansing, as it were, of sin in the same way. Well, Jesus promises here, those who have been cleansed of their impurities cleansed of sin will see God now in Jesus' day when he's teaching this though of course you need to remember that the people hearing this they probably thought immediately who are the cleanest people I know and in Jesus' day the cleanest people so to speak at least seen among the people were the Pharisees and scribes why because these were the people who were ceremonially clean, right? They were often going to the temple and performing ceremonial washings. They would, they would, they would publicly display how clean they were ceremonially, but Jesus calls them out. He calls them out as being obsessed with outward washings, but not with the washing that matters. You remember how the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus at one point in Matthew 15, and they say, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus points out their hypocrisy here because they're, they're concerned about this outward washing, this ceremonial washing, but in their hearts, they're duplicitous, they're defiled, they're dead. And so Jesus says they're content to let sin settle in their hearts so long as they can win people's praises. They love projecting an image of outward cleanliness so long as they didn't have to give up the sin that was with, inside them. And so Jesus says, yeah, you're clean on the outside, but your hearts are filthy. So he says, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. But Jesus' point here, when he teaches on being pure in heart, someone who's pure in heart is, is not one who's just cleansed outwardly, but inward falsehood, deceit, inward moral defilement cannot be mixed with a sincere devotion to God. If I could summarize it like this, purity in heart, if I could summarize it with one word, it would just be this, Holiness. Holiness. Because to be holy means being devoted to God, being set apart for him, singly minded. But it also means being more and more transformed into the image of Christ himself. That means dying to sin more and more, rising to new life in Christ more and more. That's what holiness is. That's really, I think, captures what Jesus is talking about here. And of course, the greatest example of holiness or purity in heart is our Lord himself. Jesus lived his entire life singly devoted to his heavenly father. Jesus, his entire life was never defiled by sin. Jesus never had a divided heart when it came to worshiping God, his father. And Jesus alone is among people in that he was completely pure without any mixed devotions Any mixed desires. Singly devoted to God. This was his driving purpose in his life. As he says, for I've come, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Everything in Jesus's life revolved around following God, his father's will for him. He was pure unmixed, undefiled. And friends, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, then the good news of the gospel then is that you too have been cleansed. You have been cleansed of your sin, not because of your own righteous works, not because of your own merits or any good works in and of yourselves, but because of what Christ has done for you. Because of his singly devotedness to God the Father and perfectly obeying God's commands, he lived a life that you could not. But also because of his death on the cross, his blood shed for sin, His blood cleanses you completely of all of your sin. If you're a Christian, the good news of the gospel is that you're pure in heart. Only by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is pure. And so, friends, each week as we come to worship God, we sort of renew that cleansing that we have of him, right? Each week that we come and worship, our worship service reminds us of this. It assures us of this. We confess to God every single Lord's Day that we are unclean, that we have strayed, that we have had divided hearts throughout the week. And as we do confess, right, God assures us that because of the blood of Christ, we have been cleansed. We are free from the slavery to sin. And we are given a new mandate to live, to renew our devotion to him, to give our hearts to him once again, asking for the Spirit's help once again this week, to be nourished with the sacraments so that God's grace would help us more and more to become holy. This is what we do each week. Each week we are asking God to make us more and more pure in heart. And friends, the only way that we can do that is by falling on God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, by putting our trust in him. And look at this promise here. It's the third thing that I want us to see here. So we understand what the problem is. We understand what purity is here, Jesus is talking about. We also want to understand the great promise that Christ holds out for us in this beatitude. All of these beatitudes, right, are given such beautiful promises. And Jesus says here, for the pure in heart, they shall see God. And of course, just like in each of these beatitudes, this promise comes with both a a now fulfillment and a future fulfillment. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God now, today in your lives today. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Can we take in the full, awesome glory of God now? No, of course not. Because we are still sinners this side of heaven. We're still tainted by sin. But but you can still see God today in other ways in your life. And you can see God in the world around you if you have these eyes of faith, if you have been... Your eyes have been spiritually healed, as it were. The pure in heart can see God all around you in your life. You think just first of all spiritually in your spiritual life. You see God. If you're a Christian, you see God in a different way than you couldn't have before you were a Christian. You Just take, for example, Scripture, God's Word, the Bible. Before you were a Christian, this is just another ancient book. Maybe it's got some good moral characters in there. It's got some wise sayings when you're a Christian, your heart is changed. You can see God in his word. Now his word is living and breathing. It is active. You change your life based on God's word because you see God and you hear him teaching you, guiding you. Now you base your whole life on his word. But you see God in many other ways in your Christian life, in your spiritual life. Prayer becomes a lifeline for you. The church becomes your family. The sacraments are not just bread and wine. They are spiritual food and drink for you. You see all these things in a different way when your heart is transformed. But not only that, you also see all of creation differently, don't you? I mean, we call sometimes creation God's book to reveal himself. We have his holy word, but we also have the word of creation that speaks to us of who God is. And when you're a Christian, you can take in the glory of God in creation. He reveals himself, right? When you see a majestic mountain peak or a beautiful sunrise, as a Christian, you see God's handiwork in this, right? Because as the Bible says, he laid out the foundations of the earth. He rolled out the heavens like a garment. You can take that in and see God in his hand. But also, but also, as a Christian, your heart is transformed. You see God, you also see him, his sovereign hand in your entire life. You can see that there are no accidents in your life. If you're a Christian, your heart is transformed. You understand there are no mistakes when it comes to God's plan in your life. Every single time... You encounter a difficulty or a trial, you can believe and trust that it is for your good and it's for God's glory. You may not understand it at the time, it may be difficult to grapple with, but the pure in heart do not need to have any anxiety over life's circumstances because you're singly devoted to God and you have eyes of faith to see that He's in total control. Those are eyes to see now, friends. Now, we don't have to wait in some sense to see God now. But there is, of course, there is, of course, a future scene yet to come. That's the sight of God's glory, of course, and the new heavens and the new earth when Christ comes again. We can't see God's face right now. No one on this side of heaven can see God and live, as God's word says. Because, 1 Timothy 6 says, God dwells in unapproachable light. Even Moses, who's described as a friend of God, even Moses, who saw God's glory in the pillar of cloud and fire, the burning bush, even Moses only caught a sight of God's backside. But in the new heavens and the new earth, when Christ comes again, you will see God face to face. You will see Christ face to face. There will be a time when the pure in heart actually come into God's presence experience him in his glory in the new heavens and the new earth in that heavenly city the new jerusalem and that day friends you'll be completely free from all sin unable to sin in that day you must be free from sin because as revelation 21 says nothing unclean will ever be able to enter into that holy city but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life in that day, you will be holy, completely holy, glorified. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one can see God. This is the happiness of heaven. The happiness of heaven that you have to look forward to, even now, that you will see God face to face. You will know him with unbroken fellowship. You will bask in his glory forever. Forever. And as Ryan helpfully showed us last week, we ought to set our minds on that heavenly kingdom, on the heavenly city of Jerusalem. We ought to be longing for that more and more each day, that we shall see God, to have a vision of him now even, and a vision of the future enjoyment of seeing him there. I wonder, do you have that vision? Do you have that sight of seeing God one day? A person without this vision, without this spiritual sight, is kind of like someone who has absolutely no knowledge of the solar system, no knowledge of how stars and planets work. Someone without this vision is kind of like that ignorant person of the solar system. They look up at the night sky, they see a silver speck of a star in the distance and they say, that is so far away, that is so small. It can't possibly be bigger and greater than this Earth that I'm standing on right now. With his naked eye, he just assumes that star is infinitely smaller. But the astronomer who has the training, the equipment, the instruments to measure that star knows that that star is many, many, many times larger than the Earth that he's standing on. In a similar way, friends, if you have spiritual sight, you'll see differently. Someone without spiritual sight is going to hear about a heavenly home and a God who is there and how glorious he is. And they're going to say, that is so far away. That is so distant from me in my life now. I cannot conceive of it. I don't get it. I'm removed from it. No meaning on my life. But the pure in heart, but the pure in heart, you have the instruments, you have the knowledge through faith of that instrument to see God now and to trust that one day you'll be in a much bigger and glorious and better heavenly country. For you, gaze each day by faith towards that heavenly country. Desire God and more and more and look to him there. And the stresses and circumstances of this earth, as the Bible says, will grow strangely dim. Do you have that kind of sight? Fix your eyes on that heavenly place. I wonder if you are asking yourself, how can I have this sight? How can I grow or become more pure in heart? You know, what's the prescription a pure heart that shall see God that's the last last point that I want us to consider what's the prescription for a pure heart and the first thing I want to say is just to be very clear on what the cure for this spiritual blindness might be someone who cannot see at all either now or long towards that future heavenly kingdom what is the cure for that spiritual blindness the only way that you can have that spiritual sight and a The vision of the heavenly kingdom is very simple. It's a treatment that's very straightforward, but 100% effective. You must be given a new heart. You must be given a new heart. If If you are to see God, you need your heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. You remember how Nicodemus came to Jesus and asked him about that and said, how is that possible that someone must be given a new heart? And Jesus told Nicodemus this. He said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying here, this is impossible without the work of God and his Holy Spirit. The only way that you can be given a new heart is through the miracle of new life, that the Holy Spirit works within you. Spiritual blindness is only cured by the Holy Spirit bringing new life to us. You may not be able to see that work, but you'll see the effects of it. And it's entirely a miracle of God. As Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not because of works that you've done, it's because it's entirely a gift of God. So if we're going to be helped, if we're going to understand what it means to be pure in heart, to see God, we first need to understand we need a brand new heart. That is only given and only brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. But even then, for us as Christians, for those who have known the new birth, the new heart, for us, our problem as sinners is that we're still so often distracted and divided. Even though we want to see God, we want to pursue this, we're often torn between, you know, I want to worship God, but my heart is torn to worship something else. I want to give myself over to him, but I often feel distracted, divided by other things, How can I as a Christian grow in this way? How can I become more pure? Well, I want to give you three ways very quickly of how to grow. What are three helps? Three helps for the heart at seeking purity. The first way is very simply this the pure in heart must be honest with yourself. To be pure in heart, you must be honest with yourself. That is, you, you need to look inside of yourself for your own sin and be determined to identify it and root it out. The pure in heart is not going to be satisfied with excuses when it comes to sin or just shading of the truth when it comes to honestly looking at yourself. Someone who is pure in heart is going to sincerely look at their heart and not make excuses for sin, not like Aaron did. You remember Aaron with the incident in the golden calf, Aaron says, when he's confronted with making the golden calf, says, it wasn't my fault. You know, the people made me do this. And this thing just sort of came out of the fire. Or someone who's pure in heart is not going to make excuses for their sin like Saul did. You remember Saul (laughs) held back some of the spoils. And when Samuel confronted him on it, Saul said, "Ah, I was just going to save this later for God and devote it to him. That's not purity in heart. Pure, and someone who's pure in heart, is gonna, you're going to look yourself straight in the face and be honest about your heart problems. You confess to God, you say, this is my sin problem. Honest with yourself, this is my besetting sin. How many of us are honest and actually know what our besetting sins are? And someone who's pure in heart is going to say, I desire that the Spirit of God would search out my heart. Like the psalmist says, try me and know my heart. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the attitude of someone who's pure in heart. They're honest with themselves. And so a Christian is going to gladly and willingly submit to the Spirit's searching of his heart in that way. Not like Herod. Remember Herod, here's the John the Baptist preaching. He says, that's great preaching. Um, that's nice, John, but I'm not going to submit to your word someone who's pure in heart is going to be honest with their spiritual condition and give themselves over to the spirit's work to cleanse them of that sin. So to be pure in heart, be honest with yourself. But second, the pure in heart must be honest before God. Be honest before God. I think many times we think we're being honest before God. We think we're being pure in heart, but perhaps we're deceiving ourselves. You right, go to God in prayer. Say, God, I pray this thing. I want you to do this, but I mean, how many times do we do that with our fingers crossed behind our back and say, I really wish God would not answer this prayer. That's not prayer from a pure heart. That's prayer from a mixed heart. Or someone who prays to God maybe once about a spiritual matter, a very serious spiritual matter at the time, but then quickly forgets about it never praise it again, that's not, a, that's not a pure heart. That's a weak heart. There's no perseverance in that type of prayer. There's no determination. You know, Someone who's pure in heart is going to continually go before, before God, persevering, or someone who just stands back and waits for God to work, but's unwilling to take any step forward on their own. That might be uh, someone with good motives, but that's not a pure heart, that's an idle heart. A pure in heart is someone who is determined, someone who is honest in prayer, someone who's persistent in prayer, a someone who bears everything in their prayer to God. We see a persistent person, we see someone pure in heart like Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was a woman who was experiencing much suffering and trial over many years. Hannah... What does she do with all of her distress? She continually goes before God and pours out all of her heart to him, trusting that he hears and that she she doesn't stop. She she weeps before God. She won't even eat at one point. She vows to God. This is the type of person that we ought to think of when we think of someone who's honest and pure before God, continually seeking him out with perseverance. To be pure in heart, you must be honest before God in your heart. And then finally, to be pure in heart, you must also be honest before others. Be honest before others. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity, he says, which could also be translated as holiness, And godly sincerity, which could also be translated as purity of motive. That's how we behaved in the world, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. If we're going to be pure in heart, we're honest to other people about who we are as Christians. That's what Paul was saying to you. We're honest before others. What you see is what you get. Christians don't live one way in public and then a different way in private pure in heart is not a hypocrite because you commit to God wholeheartedly so you're not afraid of what other people think of you because you are singly devoted to God you're not obsessed with the praises of other people around you when someone looks at you as a Christian they know you're a Christian who's clear about your convictions you don't hide them or shade them People can see where your priorities lie. This is what it means to be pure before others. People who are pure in heart are not like Peter before other people. You remember Peter in his great fall, the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed, Peter three times denies Jesus and says, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I'm not one of them. The calling of the Christian is that in front of other people, Even when it costs us, we're going to be open and honest about who we are. This is what it's going to take to be pure in heart. So think of these three things. Keep them in mind. If you're someone who desires to see God, you want to see Him both now, but also in the future. We must be pure in heart. We must be pure in heart. Must be honest with ourselves must be honest before God and honest towards other people. And Jesus' promise is for those who are in him, for those who are, have been cleansed of their sin in Christ, who have, are singly devoted to him, and will see him in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Jesus has shown us the problem of our hearts, right? We're divided, we're defiled, He's shown us what purity is. Purity is holiness. It's devotion to God. It's also becoming more and more like Christ. Jesus has revealed the promise to the pure in heart. They'll see God now and in the future. And he's taught us the prescription for purity in heart, that purity is possible. So Jesus teaches us here in this beatitude to see what we once thought was unseeable. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. Let's pray together and ask God's help to apply these words to our lives. Please pray with me.